0: Well, we, we just talked a few sermons ago about, about the whole notion of being sent sent out, and here we have in today's Gospel of the Great Commission where our Lord uh, says to his disciples, All powerful power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, so he's sending them out, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all days, even under the consummation of the world." So you see this whole notion of being sent. Apostle uh, means one that's sent with a commission. And you see he sends him to all nations to teach him all all truths for all days, even to the end of the world. All nations, all truths, all time. That's universal. The universal church, and the Greek word for universal, of course, we've made it English as Catholic. So we see our Lord sending out the Catholic church into the world. Given that it's Father's Day today, we'll take a look at fatherhood. do that, will lie principally on these two books. One's called Legacy, a Father's Handbook for Raising Godly Children. It's by Steve Wood. The other one's called Father, the Family Protector. It's by James Stinson. Uh, Legacy by Steve Wood and Father, the Family Protector by James Stinson. I don't get a commission for this, uh, but I have to say they're really good books. For some time now, I've been asking the guys I prepare for marriage to read the book by Steve Wood, Legacy, and uh, I'm going to start doing that with James Stenson's book as well. They're just uh, both chock full of practical advice written in good old common sense. But unfortunately, in our day and age, there's, the common sense is pretty darn uncommon. Uh, for someone that grew up in a family without a father, which is certainly uh, no fault of your own, it'd give you a pretty clear idea of what ought to be going on, and even guys that grew up in families with really great fathers are still going to come away with some things to think about and a few more tools in their toolbox. And, so the, the, and the books come at it from different angles. Uh, Steve Wood's book is more explicitly Catholic and, and uh, theological, and Stemson, although he's a Catholic, it's more, it's more generally, uh, generally written, but they're just both good books. Okay. So for the most part, uh, for most of the sermon, I'll just draw a few excerpts from these books. And so it's going to be kind of a postage stamp collection, a little of this and a little of that. And I'll edit and cut and paste like I always do. Role of the Father, Steve Wood. Earthly fatherhood is connected to divine fatherhood. God, is the, fa- the Father, is the one who makes fatherhood so important in children's lives. In Ephesians 3, St. Paul said that earthly fatherhood derives its very name from God the Father. Every child that God sends into the world comes with an intense, built-in yearning for a union with God the Father. All of us, adults and children, are hardwired for this union with our Heavenly Father. We're all moved in the deepest part of ourselves to find Him. Some of us go on detours, like the excessive pursuit of money or pleasures or addictions in an attempt to find this fulfillment, but we're all driven by it. In the divine plan, a dad is a vital link in the process of a child finding a sacred relationship with God. Every dad, for better or worse, is like a living icon of God the Father for his children. Especially in early childhood, a father's daily life in the family or absence from the family forms an image of God the Father in his children. It's truly an awesome responsibility for dads. You don't have to be a perfect father in order to be a good Christian dad. There's only one perfect father, and he's in heaven. Your job is to make an earnest effort to project a decent image of God's fatherhood to your children with a constant realization that despite your greatest intentions, your efforts will fall short. that's okay, because God's gracious plan includes using your imperfect fatherhood to reflect his image to your kids. The key to Christian fatherhood is gaining a vision of the faith running through the generations of your family. Dads, you must grasp the truth that creating a legacy of faith through the training and discipline of your children is a real man's job. In fact, it's your job. In fact, it's your most important responsibility on earth because whatever you do or fail to do as a father will have effects for generations and even for eternity. Practice your faith. Remain in the state of grace. Love your wife and stay married. Be a good provider and tithe. Spend lots of time with your children. That's how to be a good Christian man, husband, and dad in a single sentence, not too complicated. There's no escaping the reality that successful fatherhood is directly dependent upon simply being present and available for your kids. For children, love from their fathers is spelled T-I-M-E. Yet spending adequate time with their children is a stumbling block for many dads. Thus Steve Wood. I want to make some parenthetical remarks in this regard. According to analysis done by the Pew Research Center, in 2011, fathers averaged in these United States averaged 7.3 hours per week with their children. In November of last year, Nickelodeon, now that's the so-called children's television network, Nickelodeon presented advertisers with its latest research. The network found that children's television viewing had seen a 12% increase over the past nine years and had grown by over two hours since their 2009 survey. In addition to more time with a tablet or other device, in addition to that, On the average, children born after 2005 viewed a full 35 hours of television a week. Think about that. On the average, children born after 2005 viewed a full 35 hours of television a week, not counting the time they spent on tablets or other electronic devices. And yet fathers average in these United States 7.3 hours a week with their children. In other words, the children are spending five times more time per week with a television on the average than with their dads. So who's raising the kids? In a family that meets this profile, at whatever age the kid starts watching TV, it will only take three years in nine months of television viewing for that child to spend as much time with the television as he will ever spend with his dad when he lives at home, assuming he leaves when he's 18. Who's raising the children? Let's pause for a moment to reflect briefly on one important role the father plays, or at least is supposed to play, in the lives of his daughters and his sons. Here I want to give credit to the insights of Jonathan Doyle. Ladies first. As a result of original sin, excepting, of course, Our Lady, a girl is born with a sort of fundamental feminine insecurity. That feminine insecurity is expressed by those questions that run through a girl's heart. Am I beautiful? Will I be chosen? will I be left alone? She needs to have those questions answered. She needs to have those questions answered. She needs to have those questions answered by a man. That's just basic feminine psychology 101. And that's your job, dads. From the earliest years, your daughters need that attention, that hug, that reassuring comment. Now, just look at you. Aren't you pretty today? They need to be told they're beautiful. And they need to hear that from their dads and not just on their birthday. The girl needs those questions Am I beautiful? Will I be chosen? Will I be left alone? Answered by a man. And the man she needs to hear it from is first and foremost her father. The antidote for the fundamental feminine insecurity is the loving attention they get from their dad. That's the antidote. I'm going to tell you what, dads. If you don't answer those questions for your daughter another guy will. Guaranteed. If you don't answer him for her, another guy will. It's getting answered all the time. And not in the right way, and not in the right place, and not at the right time. Go stand in front of abortion mill. You better answer those questions in the hearts of your daughters a very recent beautiful essay by a woman whose father is dying says all this way better than I ever could. Just listen to what she has to say. Quote, As a young child, my father often told me that I was beautiful. Despite the twists and turns that have come about as I've grown older, in relationships, schooling, and jobs, I've always been protected to a certain extent by a sense of of self-worth. When I try to put my finger on all the things my father has given me over the years, I realize that his wisdom and love have been woven into the fabric of who I am. Perhaps it is hard to pinpoint one specific thing, but I know from experience that his gentle reminder of my beauty has been one of the greatest gifts. His love is a quiet, steady voice against the clamor of a world constantly telling me that I should look or act differently. It helps me accept myself. Close quote. Dads, you better answer those questions in the hearts of your daughters. Okay, what about the boys? Well, that's a lot different. It's actually more complicated. It's one place where the guys are quite a bit more complicated than the girls, which is unusual. The fundamental male insecurity as a result of original sin is rooted in the reality that, unlike the case for girls, who will just naturally become a woman over the course of time. Unlike the case for girls, manhood is something different. A boy doesn't just become a man. man is some, manhood is something earned. Man is something bestowed. It's bestowed by the other men. That's the fundamental reason why in traditional cultures or in healthy cultures, there are manhood rights of some type. The boys are led in a transition from youth to manhood by their elders, by the men. The questions inside a boy's heart tend to revolve around what exactly it means to be a man. How does he know he's become a man? Guys have questions about strength and toughness and manhood. Now, that's a big topic, and there's just no way we can do justice to it in the sermon but I'm just going to give some, a few points. One thing's for sure, dads, when you're raising your sons, if you don't answer the questions about what it means to be and become a man for your sons, then our society will. Our society is going to answer those questions. And the answer the society gives here in Texas is no different than the answer they give up in Montana, or Kansas for that matter, or even Australia. Same answer, just different accents, that's all. Generally speaking, the answer is there are two things a guy must do to become a man. Two things. If I pause for a moment, you all probably can think of them. First, to be a real man, a guy has to do crazy, rowdy things, get drunk or the equivalent thereof. That's number one. Second, He has to lose his virginity. Get rowdy and lose his virginity. Look at the mass media. Well, no, don't look at the mass media, but you know what I mean. That's the message of the society. Rowdiness and loss of virginity are the general culture's answer as to what it takes to be a real man, which just shows how far off the tracks we've gotten. Not only are both these mortally sinful, not only both these behaviors offend God and wreak havoc on the society. Not only this type of stupidity absolutely guarantee the destruction of every girl who lines up in the sights of one of these guys. Just her life is going to is taken out with this same kind of behavior. The most ironic part of all this is rowdiness and loss of virginity have absolutely nothing to do with manliness at all. They don't have anything to do with manliness. They're both unbelievably. Immature ways of behaving, not manly ways of behaving. Yet that's pretty much the standard answer this toxic society has to offer on what it means to become a man. Dads, you need to be talking to your boys about what it means to be a man. You need to be modeling for them manhood, true manhood. You need to be talking about character. You need to be talking about honor. You need to be talking about integrity. You need to talk about getting your duty done, talking about those ideas with your sons. And when your sons get to an age, you don't necessarily have to climb some high mountain or run around and kill the wild pig with a spear or something like that, although I'm not against it. Um, But you need to come up with some sort of event or trip or some sort of transitional thing, at the end of which there is a transition. When he starts to have more responsibility... And more freedom because he has more responsibility, and you have higher expectations of him, and he gets treated in a little different way because you're trying to segue him into adulthood. It's pretty easy to raise boys that leave as boys, you're trying to raise men. And the crisis in the church and the crisis in society is a crisis of manhood. Now, as we said, this is a big topic, there's no way to do it justice in this sermon. There's books, there's movies even. Any thoughtful dad can, can think about these movies on the transition from boyhood to manhood. As I'm standing here, I think the man from Snowy River. That would be a, a typical one. Now, any dad could use those kind of sort of resources to launch a discussion, to teach lessons after he's read them or watched them and thought his way through what he sees. But the bottom line is, dads, when you're raising your sons, if you don't satisfactorily answer those questions about what it means to be a man, and how you become a man, if you're not answering that for your sons, then the society will. And it is. And it is. And it's a lot better at answering that question than most fathers are, I hate to say. And the answer is really wrong. Steve Wood. Fathers have the simple yet challenging task of modeling in their own lives what they want to see reproduced in the lives of their children. They also have the solemn responsibility of being a type of living icon of the Heavenly Father for their children. St. John Paul, too, spoke of this, saying that the heart of fatherhood consists in revealing and reliving on earth the very fatherhood of God. Imitation is the way Jesus successfully trained his disciples without ever taking them inside a classroom. Imitation is still the fundamental way to train Christian disciples. As Christians, we are to be imitators of God. We are to be merciful because God is merciful. We are to be holy because God is holy. We are to be kind and forgiving because this is what God is like. The important question for fathers is then, how do I teach my children to imitate a God they cannot see? Fathers are to be an image of the Heavenly Father for their children. Fathers are to live in such a way that their children can imitate their lives and grow in the likeness of God. Therefore, the most important thing needing change in the process of of training children is not the kids, but the dads. Children will imitate the godly transformation of their fathers. A wise father will seek to maximize the power of imitation in his children. It's a major reason why time priorities are so important. You need to be with your children in order for them to imitate you. The more you're separated from your children, the greater the vacuum left by your absence. Your children will continue imitating in your absence. The only question is, who are they going to imitate? The time you spend with your children will determine whether they imitate your morals and your beliefs or someone else's. There is no escaping the reality that a successful father is directly Dependent on simply being present and available to your kids. The more you're separated from the children, the greater the vacuum left by your absence. Your children will continue imitating in your absence. The only question is who will they be imitating? Will it be the saints? Will be these clowns and reprobates in the mass media? Who's raising your kids? Let's shift gears. James Stenson. Any normal man with a measure of common sense and a capacity for sacrifice can raise his children right. I've seen it done again and again. Successful fathers I've known seem to understand what a father is and does. They have an understanding of how a father's main role is to protect his wife and children from harm, not only now, but also later in life. That's what he's there for. After God, the man puts his wife first. In his priorities, her happiness and welfare are uppermost, and his children know this. They know it because he leads them by his own example to love, honor, and cooperate with their mother. If they ever fail to do this, they answer to him for it. That's more than half the secret of effective fatherhood. He has a spirit of lively cooperation with his wife, He sees her as his partner in a collective team enterprise. Together they work as much as possible to present a united front to the children. They draw on each other's strengths, and in different but complementary ways, they support each other. A great father works with his wife to maintain a long-term vision, 20 years ahead, about the children's growth and character, no matter what they do later for a living. He knows that kids cannot start acquiring character overnight that what children learn in childhood will powerfully sway how well or how badly they behave as teens and young adults. He has to teach them that responsible grown-up life is not self-centered play, but mostly service to others. Both spouses picture their children as grown-up men and women, adults with virtue, conscience, generosity, competence, responsibility, self-mastery. This distant but clear ideal forms the basis for teaching, practice, and correction now. So the parents have a picture of the kind of adults they're expecting each one of these child, children to be. They're assessing their children. And based on that picture, they're looking where are they weak the virtues? Gonna, we need to work on this. We need to work. That's what it is. So you have a long term view. So you're, you're moving in a direction, trying to direct that child in, in the ways of virtue. In other words, a smart father realized he must work real change in the lives of his children. Kids do not come into the world with strong character. So if a man or woman neglect this task and and affect no change, the kids grow older without ever growing up. If parents neglect this task, the kids grow older without ever growing up. And boy, howdy, is that what we got going on now. The cops are doing land office business because we have all these children of every age roaming about, wreaking havoc everywhere. They've grown older, but they haven't grown up. They emerge into adult life with the faults and weaknesses of childhood. They remain spoiled, weak willed, impulsive, self centered, irresponsible, and headed for calamity in their careers and marriages. Just look around at our society. Father sees all his sacrificial efforts, the rigorous work of fatherhood, as an investment, not merely a vexing hassle. He's investing most of all in the stability and happiness of his children's future life, and especially their eternity, not only their careers. He senses that parents who fail with their kids seem to fall into two extremes. They're irresponsibly permissive, or tyrannically domineering. In other words, they're either wimps or they're control freaks. Both extremes are basically self-centered and do serious lasting damage to the children. Kids with such parents tend to either grow up as immature narcissists or as rebels and sneaks. A loving, self-sacrificing father does not fall into extremes. He will not neglect his fatherly duty to lead, nor will he impose more control than his children need. He respects his children's freedom without being permissive, and he works to strengthen his kids but not to dominate them. He puts his children's welfare ahead of his comfort and his ego. He corrects his children's faults but not them personally. He combines correction and punishment with affectionate forgiveness, understanding, and encouragement. He's neither weak nor harsh but rather affectionately assertive. He loves his children too much to let them grow up with their childhood faults still intact. When he must correct anyone in the family, he does this personally and privately whenever possible. He is never afraid of being temporarily unpopular with his children. Their long-term unhappiness is more important to him than their present sulking and bruised feelings from his correction. He's confident that the resentment will soon pass and someday will understand and thank him for the love behind his correction. He encourages his children, showing and explaining how to do things right and how to do the right thing. He directs rather than micromanages and makes praise as specific as blame. He's conscious of his authority, which is as weighty as responsibility. He does not permit electronic entertainment to undermine that authority or undo his lessons of right and wrong. He keeps the media under discriminating control, allowing only what serves to bring the family together. A father has only a short time, a tiny window of opportunity to shape his kid's conscience and character for life. So his job is not only important, it's absolutely urgent. Every smart father knows that he has one chance and only one, to raise his children right. A father has only a short time, a tiny window of opportunity to shape his kid's conscience and character for life. So his job is not only important, it's absolutely urgent. A father has one chance, one chance only, to raise his children right. Today, let us pray for fathers, that they realize the awesome dignity to which they've been called and that they act accordingly.